0: We've just sung Psalm 127. You can open there if you haven't uh, already done so. This morning, I want us to think uh, about living without regret. And this Psalm certainly addresses that subject. Um, as, as we think about it, suppose you have a cousin who um, lives a long ways away and they haven't seen you for 25 years and they're passing through town. And so they call you up and say, Hey, I'm your long lost cousin. Love to come over and catch up. So you invite them over and they come over and, you know, it's been a long time. You've got a new place and you show them around your new place and all the stuff that uh, comes with that. And after all of that introduction to to your life in the last 25 years, they look at you and they say, Well, cuz, you know, you've done pretty well. You've done pretty well. And that's kind of how we measure sometimes success. People look at our stuff and they say, "Hmm, Pretty successful. You've done pretty well. Well, let's suppose that the only thing you could count was what has been laid up in heaven. Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Suppose you can't measure your success by what stuff you have on earth. The only measure of success is by the stuff you have in heaven. Would we still have people saying about us, you've done pretty well. No reason to regret your life. Everything's fine. Would that be the case? I want to share with you an example of someone where that was not the case. Look at First Chronicles 16, and then we'll come back to, to Psalm 27. Excuse me, Chronicles 21, verse 16. First Chronicles 21. Here's a man by the name of Jehoram. Yes, yeah, I can't find it. Did I put it on your handout? Yes. Help the preacher. Second Chronicles, twenty one. Verse 16, hear God's word. Then the Lord, by the way, I never mind when people help the preacher. I need help, okay? Second Chronicles 21, verse 16, then the Lord stirred up against Jehoram, the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabs who bordered the Ethiopians. And they came against Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions found in the king's house. Together with his sons and his wives, so that no son was left to him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. So, after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable sickness. Now, it came about in the course of time, at the end of two years, that his bowels came out because of his sickness and he died in great pain. And his people made no fire for him like fire for his fathers. He was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. And he departed. And here's the phrase I want you to circle and think about. He departed with no one's regret. And they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Well, think about that a minute. Here's a man who was king. He had many military exploits. He was successful in battle. This last battle, obviously, leads to his death. But... He was a successful king for a while. Had military advances. He built buildings in the city. Uh, The city advanced. The economy got better under his leadership for a while. Until finally an army invaded and took him. But he had done a lot of good things. And he had a lot of stuff. He had wives and sons and daughters. And this invading army says came in and took all that stuff. But regardless of any of that. When it came down to his funeral, nobody regrets that he's gone. He dies with no regret. Now, I don't want that for anybody. certainly don't want it for you. How can we make sure when we pass away that we can say, I lived my life without regret. I have something that is measurable. I have something that is valuable, laid up for me in heaven. And that treasure awaits me. It's a reward that awaits me. It would be just devastating, really, I think, to live your life, whatever the number of years, in vain. And that's what takes us to Psalm 127. How do we live our lives and not end up and saying it was it was of no value it was in vain it was it was worthless and we see in second chronicles that there are two principles there for us you know we're all building lives we're all building homes we're all building families we're all building careers we're all building relationships we're doing stuff here on earth how can we ensure that what we're doing is of value and there are two rules that come out of Psalm 127 that we value our lives, or we measure our value by God's work in and through us, and then secondly, by what we do with the gifts God gives us. So think about the value of your lives. It's going to be measured in the last days by God's work in and through us, and then us joining that work by using the gifts God gives us. First of all, let's see our values measured by God's work in and through us. So verse one, unless the Lord builds, God's doing a work. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And then unless the Lord guards or watches over the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Value is coming through God building the house, through God watching. Um, Don't miss the fact that God doesn't say value comes when the builder quits building, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say value comes when the watchman quits watching. He doesn't say that. We still need the builder to build and we still need the watchman to watch. But he throws in this element unless the Lord is in the building, in the construction. The builder who is building is building in vain. And unless the Lord is in the guard, unless the Lord is watching over the city, the guard who is watching is watching in vain. So you don't stop what you're doing. This is not a let go and let God passage. You still must employ the gifts God's given you. If you're a builder, build. If you're a watchman, watch. If you're a homemaker, make it at home. Whatever it is God has called you to do, do it with all your heart. But is God at work in it? If God can't be all in in your work, you need a different work. Unless the Lord is in your construction of whatever it is you're constructing, unless the Lord is doing what you're doing, in it with you you're going to pass away and there's going to be regret it's going to be regrettable existence unless the Lord is building the house unless the Lord is watching over the city it's all going to be in vain significance requires God's involvement that's what it's mentioned here um Jerry Bridges has a great illustration in one of his books on, I think it was Pursuing Holiness, where he uses an airplane uh, as an illustration. It's a prop engine plane, so you, you've just got one engine, it's out front, um, but you've got two wings. He said, We need to see our, our work in life as 100% man and 100% God. If you take away either wing, the plane goes down, it crashes. God's got to be all in, but you got to be all in too. Unless the Lord is with you, flying your life, flying your plane, if He's not 100% in what you're doing, and you're not 100% in what you're doing, it's going to end up in a crash. It's going to wreck. It's not going to work. It's not going to be valuable. It's going to be in vain. So again, think about what it is you do and how it is that Christ must be in it. He must value it. He must be excited about it. He must be working in it. It Gives us two examples here. Obviously, God's excited that we build buildings and we protect one another. And he can be in that. And he can be in what we do. We just need to evaluate and Then we need to pray and plead with God to be in it. Um so that He is. God's involvement in our work is what brings it lasting value. Let me give you some, pa- some uh, other passages to think about with this. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15. 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15. Paul says, According to the grace of God... Which was given to me like a wise master builder. I laid a foundation. Now notice Paul's talking about building the church. But he's using the building analogy. You could be building a business. You could be building a home. You could be um, building a school. You could be uh, a teacher. You could be building a, a, a medical practice. You know, think through all of that. Whatever it is you've been called and gifted to. He says... That was grace from God that gave me this ability. It says, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it. Because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet, as, uh, yet so as through the fire. Now, think about what Paul's saying here. There's, there's a certain quality to our work. There's a quality that adds value and a quality that's that's vain. And he gives an illustration. He says you can build out of uh, substantive subjects like uh, gold or uh, precious stones or silver. That kind of stuff doesn't usually burn up. It lasts. It tests the, the fire. Or you could build out of wood, hay, straw. You light a match to that, you know it's gone. He says what's the quality of your work? Uh I grew up out in the country where we had a big 30 gallon barrel and we always burned our trash the way we you know kind of recycled if it was burnable we burned it if it wasn't we we buried it Uh but sometimes you know it's just it's just easy to you open a can of beans you just throw the can in the trash and so sometimes the tin would get in the fire as well But if the fire got hot enough the fire would burn up the tin You you think about what will not burn up, what's going to last? Think about your, evaluate your life. When, when God's fire comes with intense heat, what's really going to last that you're doing? What's really valuable? And you can come to the conclusion of what that is by asking what's God in? What's What does God already consider to be precious and valuable? What does He What is God building in what you're building? What is God doing in what you're doing? So that we can live these lives without regret. That's what's going on here. You're not going to lose your salvation here, 1 Corinthians 3. But you could suffer great loss. You could have spent your life in vain. And you don't want that. You want to spend your life in such a way that when you die and through the power of the resurrection Christ takes you to heaven... He says, "Not only are you in heaven, but now there's great reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I wanted you to do, and I was all in it, and now I want to bless you for it. That's the kind of life we want. That's the kind of life Psalm 127 is talking about, this kind of life Paul is talking about here. Look also at Second Peter, chapter three. Second Peter three. 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, question, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So regardless of of how you interpret this passage and last days and all of that there's there's this understanding that there's a transition from earthly existence as we know it to heavenly existence and what we have done here there's is going to go through this test of fire and if you know this test of fire is inevitable then how does that change the way you live he says pay attention what ought to pe- what kind of people ought we to be if we know the testifier is coming, and we saw a testifier in First Corinthians three as well, he says, well, it certainly should focus us on holiness and godliness. It should focus us on what God wants to do. Um, still there in second Peter, let's just uh, get to the end. Look at verse 17 and 18. "You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, so you know where, where you're headed, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Um, There's a hint there that maybe helps you. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How can you take what you're doing and use it For your own personal as well as other people. Growth in the grace. And knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because if you know that's something that's going to last. Growing in Christ is going to last. Blessing Christ. His church. That's going to last. You know what are we doing that is growing. um, Holy children. Are we growing up. Children, in the grace and knowledge of Christ, are we growing up our family in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Husbands, are you washing your wives with the water and the word? It's Ephesians 5 talks about, are you are you making them more like Christ? Wives, are you uh, loving your husband in such a way he's becoming more and more like Christ? Uh, children, are you loving your parents? Are you honoring them in such a way that... That they even are stimulated, encouraged to be more and more like Christ. In your workplace, regardless, are are your relationships with other people in such a way that they're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ? You know, in your extended family relationships, is it growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Because that is something that Peter is saying, that's going to stay. That's going to last. You'll be rewarded for that. That's a significant value. Um, that's something God's all in, is growing us in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Well, give you one other passage. Look at Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. Love that. It's God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work. His good pleasure. Did God give you the will? Did God give you the ability? Yes. Did God give you the gifts? Yes. But God's all in. He's in it with you. What he's given you. What he's gifted you to do, he's in it to work. If the Lord's building, if he's in it to work, if the Lord's watching, if he's in it to work, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a value. It's going to be a success. So ask God, God, be in this. Be in my love for my husband. Be in my love for my wife. Be in my love for my children. Be in my love for my boss. Be in my love for my co-laborers. Be in my love for the people I meet today. Be in it. Work in me and through me. Because what you do in and through me determines my value for eternity. Unless the Lord is in and through you, there's no value. So that becomes a constant prayer to living life without regret. Um I can't think of any field, you know, that probably you're engaged in here in this church. There are certainly fields that would fit, but we're engaged in things that God can be in and He wants to be in. If you're a politician, God doesn't want just legislation. He wants legislation that's just. He cares about justice. He cares about the the governance of a nation. Romans 13 is all about that. And... So you say, God, I want you to be in and through my legislation, my proposals, that they promote the justice of God that would grow people in the grace and knowledge of Christ. You can do that as a a politician. You can be a doctor and say, God, I don't want you just to use me to heal a person's body, but I want to, to see their soul encouraged. I want them to see the love and compassion of Christ through me. And you're praying that, and people's lives are changed. We call that holistic medicine. And people are built up, and that's of value that God says is is, is rewarded. Um, same is true in, in, in teaching as, as uh, teachers. You say, I want to not just give facts. I want to give transformation through the Spirit. I want to make students complete in Christ. And you, you teach uh, to that end. Um, if you're a student, you, 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 uh, you study to grow in God's grace and the knowledge of God and His plans for your life. Uh, we need 100% God. We need 100% us for value. That's the basic rule. What is it you do? How, how do you, are you sure? Because if you don't have it, think of those airplane wing, wings. You're going down, and there's going to be no regret. But if it's 100% God and 100% man, you fly. And there's life, and there's value. That's Psalm 127, verse 1. You get to verse 2, and you get another principle. Our value is measured by God in and through us, And our value is measured by what we do with the gifts God gives us. Um, Verse 2. It's vain for for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat bread of painful labor. For He gives. Before I get to He gives, you start seeing the gives. Let me just... I I didn't say anything about verse 2, but... What verse 2 is saying is, you think value comes by rising up early, retiring late... Somebody says, I want to make sure I succeed. What do you do? I work harder. I work longer. I work more. And the principle here is saying, no, that's that's, that's in vain. Value doesn't come through more work. Value comes through more God. Is God in it 100%? He says, "If, if you just stay up late, get up early, do all the hard labor, painful labors, it's vain unless the Lord. So he's still dealing with that whole that whole principle that we need the Lord in it. Then the second principle he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. You may have a different translation. This is a very difficult uh, passage to translate in the Hebrew, and so Depending on which Bible you have, you'll, have, you'll see two translations. Um, he gives to his beloved even in his sleep, or he gives to his beloved sleep. And most translators say, I really can't say with 100% of certainty which one it is. So they pick one, and they throw it out there. And so as I've wrestled through that, well, which one is it? Does it mean here that God gives his beloved even in their sleep, or while they're sleeping, or does it mean that God gives us sleep? And the more I've wrestled with that, I'm thinking both. So I don't care what translation you've got. I think they're both true. God gives us sleep, and God gives us even when we're asleep, when we're doing nothing for it. We know those are true statements about God in other places of Scripture, so let's just embrace it. Maybe the, the Hebrew idiom here is just so strong that the Hebrew authors thought, well, everybody knows this. God does both. He gives... While we're sleeping, and He gives um, sleep. So, I'm going to just assume He does both. Uh, God gives us, and what do we do with that? We have, what, what it's saying is, what we have of value, we have as a gift. He gives, that's the main thing. God gives to His beloved. When we need rest, He gives us rest. He gives us sleep. When we need stuff that we don't have, he gives it to us, without us. That's what God does. And the gifts that he gives us, gives us value. Then immediately after telling us, he gives to us, behold, children are a gift. And so the gift, it seems, to be the primary focus of the passage is people. God gives people. God gives children And he gives us children to bless us, to train up, to provide value to living. I want us to think through that a minute. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. There's one thing that nobody else gives. That's children. I mean, with our science and technology, we're trying to do all sorts of things to create human life. But God creates human life out of nothing. Out of nothing. He doesn't clone life, He creates life. And the fruit of the womb, the mother's womb, God says, that's my reward. That's something I do. And to this day, nobody's done it but God. Created life out of nothing. Put it in the womb and um, given it to us. Whenever we receive a child, it is a gift of God. It's God's creation. And God says, that's a gift, that's a blessing, it's not a burden, it's not a project, it's a gift. And that gift will provide value. Not only because this is obviously something God is all in and something God wants to do. He wants to give us children. He wants to reward us with children. It's an exclusive gift of God's. Um, when God gives you a gift, what do you do? You say, God, thank you. What do you want me to do with it? When God gives us children, we, we ask that question and we have an answer. The fifth commandment is, children, honor your mom and dad. It's the first commandment with a promise God, God tells parents, train up a child in the way he should go. We know that, Proverbs 22. We know Deuteronomy 6. Make sure you teach a child that there's one God, one creator who created them. And they need to live their lives according to God's commands. Uh, And that's going to be a blessing to them, and it's going to be a blessing uh, to parents. Uh, Here in Psalm 127, he says, these children are like errors. Arrows, can I say that? Arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are children of one's youth. The illustration there is, he doesn't say a bow. He says children are like the arrow. Why? Because a warrior, if he's got a bow, what does he do? If that's all he's got, he doesn't have anything. He could try to hit you with it. He could throw it at you. It's like a gun with no bullets. When you're out of bullets, all you could do is throw the gun at somebody. See, the children are like the bullets they're like the arrows they do something of value of significant for a, a, for a warrior they hit the target they are significant because that's what children are they're significant weapons in the hand of God and he gives the illustration goes on to verse 5. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. If you've got a handful of arrows, if you've got a handful of children, uh, they will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. the, the, The implication is that you have trained these children up in the way they should go. You've trained them according to Scripture. And so when they get mature, complete in Christ, they speak on your behalf. And they protect the home, they protect the family, they protect the parents, uh, they are honoring to their parents. And what a blessed man to have children who have been trained up in the Lord. And if you've got many of those, that's great. Well, not everybody gets to have children. Not everybody's blessed with children. But we're all blessed with children, somebody's children. And so the implication is the same, that God gives you people in your life doesn't say here God gives you stuff. He gives you people. And his blessings are going to come through people. People who have been trained in the Lord. Uh, give you an example of that. Look over at 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. Here's some people Paul mentions. Uh, and they're not his biological children. But they are a great blessing because they are gifts of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. Paul says this about the Thessalonians. For who is our hope? Who is our joy? Our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? At his coming. For you are our glory and our joy. Now notice where Paul's taking us. When, When I die, when he says whether I die or whether you die. Or whether we all die or whether none of us die. And Christ just comes back. And he takes this to himself. What's going to be our joy and our crown, our exaltation when we see Jesus? That's his point. Will will, will we see Jesus and, you know, everybody shakes their head, regrettable. Your life was just regrettable. Or will we see Jesus and there be great joy and exaltation? Paul says, what will be that, that moment of joy when we see Jesus? He says, you will be my moment of joy. Because I've been your preacher. And I have that joy to look forward to. Because Paul says, I've been preaching to you and I've been teaching to you. And you've been growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So when you get to heaven, you will proclaim. God says, where did you get that knowledge? How did you grow to know Christ? Well, we had a preacher that you sent us. Oh. And the preacher is able to say, that's so cool. That's so exciting. Or you see, it can go, no, I had a parent, and my parent trained me this way. And the parent says, you're my joy and my crown. I I, I wish I had my quiver full of them. Or it was my boss at work, or it was my doctor who came to my aid, or it was the person who saw me on the side of the road. And I could tell God was working in and through their lives. And they were growing me in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So that when I see God in heaven, they are my joy. They are my crown. They are my glory. That's a life of value. We so easily get caught up in building stuff. I hope you're beginning to see. I need to be building people. God's given this world people and people are eternal they last forever either in heaven or in hell I need to be investing in what lasts because everything else gets burned up and I want to invest in such a way that there's value when I see Jesus are we doing that I don't want us to to live life with regret um how do we train? How do we build up? Uh, Proverbs 28.7. I think about this uh, every year. I get one or two or three letters um, from people who don't know me, uh, but they know New Covenant Church sponsors New Covenant School. And so it's their way of, of saying thanks to, to you, the church, through me, for sponsoring the school. And I, I, it comes to me, comes right out of Proverbs 28, 7. It says, he who keeps the law is a discerning son. But he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. The first part is what I focus on. He who keeps the law is a discerning son. You know, out of all these letters I've gotten where people from the school write to the pastor of the church saying, thank you for New Covenant School. I don't think I've gotten a single text, email, letter that says, thank you, my kid now knows math. Thank you, my kid now knows uh, music, knows physics, knows, you know, what, and they do know all of those things. But over and over again, I get this thank you letter that says, thank you, my kid knows the commandments. Thank you, my kid knows Christ. My kid knows the Bible. My kid comes home talking about Christ. The Proverbs says, the kid who knows the law of God is a is a wise kid. He has the source of wisdom within him. He's a discerning son. He's starting to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And parents pick up on that and they see that's a value. I couldn't have, I probably wouldn't have got, gotten somewhere else. And they get it here and they're excited about it and they say, tell me thanks. Well see, that's the excitement you're going to have when you see Jesus. I've invested my life into somebody, and they get to Jesus, and Jesus says, where did you get that investment? Well, somebody poured themselves into me, and they told me about Jesus, and they told me about His Word, and they lived the law of God before me, and I, I saw the significance of that. And It's going to be your joy. It's going to be your crown. We're going to be rejoicing so much over that. Evaluate your life. Are you living your life and it's just going to be regrettable? Are you living your life in such a way God is in and through you working, whether you're building or watching or whatever it is you're doing? And not only is God in and through you, but there's something very valuable that he's in and through working through you to do, and that is build up people in Christ. Grow people in the knowledge of Christ. Grow people in the knowledge of His Word, His will, His ways. And we start in the home, and it goes out into every place we go. And as long as it goes with us, there's value. So what do we need to do? Uh, Well, we need to evaluate. And if we're doing things in life that God can't be 100% in... We need to repent. Because that's just regrettable. That's not going to produce value. Repent. Turn turn from what, you know, you know, what do I pursue? Well, think about your gifts, your abilities. You can do just about everything, but can God be 100% in it? Can He work in and through you in it? If not, repent and say, i got to get out of that end into what God can be 100% in. Otherwise, I'm going to be spending my life in vain. And that's not what I want to do. Second, you know, get on God, board with God's plan. Don't work, number one, just don't work in what God's not 100% in. And then number two, make use of the gifts God gives you. Use them well. What are the gifts? People. Make use of the people that God gives you. Who are you encouraging in Christ? That's why I used to tell my kids before they came to church, because they were going to see a big room full of people. I said, go ahead and plan before you get there. Who are you going to encourage? Who are you going to pour into? Who are you going to thank? Who are you going to appreciate? Who are you going to build up in some fashion? That's your task. That's what we must be doing. Let's have a life of value. Don't go just to get, get, get. That's going to burn up. Go to give, give, give. Give to somebody something so that you build them up in Christ. Make use of the gifts God gives us so that life matters. One other passage, 1 Corinthians 15. This is where it all comes down to us dying at some point, being resurrected in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection passage, the premier passage on the resurrection. Let me read verses 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Pretty straightforward. If you're living for to the death line, if that's all you're living for, pity, 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 pity. Because there's no value in that. But it goes on. But, verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And what he's about to present is because Christ is raised from the dead, we in Christ can rise as well. And we will get to heaven. If we've been living for this life only, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? And you've not laid up treasures for yourself in heaven. You've not been living for where you're going, you've been living for what's going to burn up. He says, That'd be crazy. Let's skip to the end, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. There it is. Your toil is not in vain if it's in the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, always working in the Lord. Because if you're, if you're working in the Lord, if you're asking God to be 100% in what you're doing, because He's gifted you for it, and you're working to build up the people he's put into your life that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ then it will not burn up it will be valuable it will be time well spent on earth for the eternity you're going to have in heaven so let's evaluate our lives repent of mixed up priorities have you been spending your time on the wrong things quit Stop. Repent means stop doing that. Let's do something different then. Let's repent of mixed up priorities. And let's repent if, if you've not received Christ. Are you living a life where you've, you've really never received Christ as your Lord and Master? Well, see, that would be vain. That would be vain. Because you're living for just now. And there's an eternity that awaits. So turn from that selfish view, that short-term view. We don't want you to live without regret. We want you to have something to look forward to when eternity comes knocking. Let's live life without regret. Let's pray together. Father, we talk about being all in. And yet what is necessary is that you are all in what you've called and gifted us to do. Father, we repent of our sins. We turn from a selfish focus. We turn from a man-centered focus that has no value to a God-centered focus that lasts an eternity where there's great reward. Father, help us to evaluate day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year. Has our time on earth been well spent? Lord, make us strong at loving people and building people and growing people and encouraging people in the things of Christ. Obviously, for us to do that, we must have a non-hypocritical character and life. Father, if we've not been living Christ, it's hard to share Christ. So we ask that you would forgive us for staying up late and getting up early to do our stuff instead of depending on you to work in and through us with your stuff. Father, let us not do the, the labor of toil that's foolishness. Let us labor for Christ for all eternity. Have mercy upon us. Lord, those in this room that may be young, may be old, and they have not yet received you, draw them to yourself. Let them see, perhaps, this morning a glimpse of value and significance. They've probably been wondering, is this all there is? And there's so much more in Christ. Great reward can be theirs. Draw them to yourself. We ask this, mercy, in Christ's name, amen.